0: Luke chapter 1, picking up in verses 57 through 80 today. It's a sizable portion of scripture. We'll have the scripture on the screen for you. We have Bibles around too. If you need a Bible, you can grab that. If you don't have one at home, bring that home with you. Merry Christmas. We've been walking through the New Testament book of Luke, recording the life and the, the ministry and the message and the methods of Jesus. We're also in the middle of the Advent season. It's a season where we slow down. To celebrate the coming of Christ and to anticipate his second coming when he'll come again for us, his church. And I just love Advent. I love Christmas. It's a great time of year. And what we're going to see this week is not really a widely popular portion of the, the Christmas story because it's about the birth of John. And Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, right? But what we see is that because it's all about John, it's actually all about Jesus because John is all about Jesus. John's life was all about Jesus. John had a laser-focused life in on Jesus. In fact, his most famous line comes from John chapter 3, verse 30. He says, He must increase, but I must increase. Decrease. He, Jesus, more of Jesus, but I must decrease. And listen, that is the theme of the life of John. The theme of the life of John is more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. And let me just be completely honest with you. As I'm studying and preparing for this morning, this scripture has just been working me. Right? It's just been Working me. And we Christians, we love to say, I want to live my life for Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in and through me. But I know that many of us probably don't really, really mean that. I know that for many of us, what we, what I at times actually mean is, I want to do something for Jesus that makes me feel like I've made. difference do you see how subtly it shifts and it becomes about me it's a lot like the person who says i'm all about giving to others because it makes me feel so good do you hear the subtle way in which the second statement nullifies the first do you catch that it's not all about him if it's all about you It's not about him if it's all about you. And so I I, I believe that this this holiday season, so much uh, selfless, uh, you know, selfless, uh, sacrificial holiday charitable deeds are actually very selfish deeds, some of the most selfish deeds of the year. So some of you maybe have seen floating around on, on social media this this heartwarming story from UPS. It's a very well done video. It's it's about this cute little boy who who loves every day watching the UPS truck show up to his house. It's a cute story. The kid gets his own UPS uniform. He just wants to be like the UPS man. And, And UPS, out of the kindness of their hearts, decides that we're going to show up in front of the boy's house with the truck we're going to bring him out to the truck. We're going to open up the back of the truck. And we're going to pull out of the back of the truck a kid-size UPS truck. And you know what? The crazy coincidence was that they just so happened to have a professional camera crew there to record it all. Can Can you believe that? And it just so happened to show up on my newsfeed over and over and over again with a little small caption that says, Promoted. And it just so happens to be the time when we really need UPS. Let me ask you, charitable act or commercial? Strategically, right before the holiday season. What's in it for UPS? Greater sales. What's in it for John the Baptist as we read the scriptures here? Uh, he gets his head chopped off. You see the difference? There, there's a big difference. How about the apostles of Jesus Christ? All of them are, are martyred. Why? Because they're truly living their lives that they might be all about Jesus, even if there's nothing in it for themselves, but martyrdom. It wasn't a a, a mask that was in reality selfish ambition. No, they died for Christ. They truly lived their lives for Jesus. And so the question for all of us is, Is my life really all about Jesus, or is it just one of those cute, appropriate things that we as Christians like to say? Is your life really all about living for another? When we are clearly in a world that is consumed with self, are you living for another? And and here's what's really hit me between the eyes from studying uh, the life of John this week is that there is real freedom found in living for another. There, there's a real freedom found in living for another. And I, I've been on both sides of this thing. And so I, I, I know I'm not just preaching hypothetically. I'm preaching something that I've, I've lived. I've been on the side of saying my life is all about him, but in some weird way it's actually kind of all about me. And I've also been freed up to live a life that, you know, it truly is all about him. And there is a real different, and the second one is free. and so let me show this to you in, in, in the scriptures and let's just learn from from John's life while his head is still attached all right uh, Luke chapter 1 57 through Uh, 66. Before we read it, here's where we're at. Zechariah and and Elizabeth are his parents and they're a ministry couple from a small no-name town in Judean hill country. Uh, He's a priest. His wife is barren without child until this country pastor gets a big opportunity to go into Jerusalem and literally by a roll of the dice, he gets to go into the temple to the closest place that someone other than the high priest could go to the holy place and he gets to perform a priestly act and while he's in there it takes a little while. People are outside waiting for him to come out but it takes a little while. Why? Because he's visited by the angel Gabriel and the angel Gabriel declares to him that your wife is going to have a child. You've been praying about it for years and years and years and your wife is actually now going to have a child and this child isn't just going to be any child. This child is going to be Great, he says. He's going to be great. He's going to be a prophet. The last great prophet as we go through all the prophets of the Old Testament. He's going to come right before uh, Jesus Christ. He's the one that's been prophesied about from years prior in the book of Malachi. Who would come as a forerunner to the Messiah. He would come as this blinking light pointing to Jesus. And you will name him John. Because John means God is gracious. God has given you something great, great gift. And he would be great, Gabriel declared. And what an awesome guarantee from the Lord through an angel that your child will be great. It's an amazing announcement that Zechariah gets. And, and, And yet, Zechariah stands there before this angel like nothing he's ever seen before. And yet, he has doubts about the declaration of the angel. The angel says to him, what? Zechariah, I am Gabriel. (laughs) I'm an angel. How can you, have you ever seen an angel before? And yet you're doubting me. And so Gabriel says, here's what's going to happen then. You will be muzzled. He says, you will be silent until these things take place. And so shortly after that, Gabriel then goes to Mary. A little more familiar with that story. And announces to Mary that she will be pregnant despite her virginity, and that it would be a miracle of God. And Mary is a cousin to Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. But both of these ladies would have a miracle conception. Zechariah and Elizabeth, through natural relationships, despite their old age, Mary will have a child despite her virginity. Both great miracle of God. And that Mary's child would be the one prophesied about from long ago, the one who would save the world And Elizabeth's child would point to Mary's child. But first, he has to come, this child. So let's read Luke chapter 1, 57 through 66. Luke 1, 57 through 66. It says this. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So here's what we have. It's the day that has been long envisioned the day that Elizabeth becomes a mom. And some of you ladies here who are without children, it's much longer than maybe your story. Maybe not. But it's been a long, long, long time. It's been the primary prayer of their heart for years, decades even, that we would have a child. They're not the young, glowing couple who comes into church with their new baby. No, they're an older couple who has had great trouble along the way having a child and they have prayed and they have prayed and they have prayed and finally God answers and now the baby is here and verse 58 says her relatives and neighbors hear of God's mercy on her and they did what they rejoiced they rejoiced now Luke is pointing out the fact that this is a direct fulfillment fulfillment of what the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah back in verse 14 when he says many will Rejoice at his birth! Now there are many, and they're here, and they're they're excited. This is their beloved pastor's child with his very first baby and her very first baby, and uh, it's just an amazing, exciting time for for them and their community and their faith family. I remember with my first baby, we had this big booming church it was like the fastest growing church in new england at the time and our our little man isaiah everybody wanted a piece of him everybody wanted to see him and and pass him around and in this little country town for a moment it was like that it was just all about john now watch how quickly things change here Uh, Quickly, uh, you'll, you'll see things shift very very quickly. And, and, and the theme of Luke's life, or, or uh, John's life kicks into gear. The theme of his life is, he must increase and I must decrease. Watch this. So it's the eighth day, right? They go to circumcise him as a good little Jewish boy and everybody is rejoicing and everybody has their opinions now listen once you're a parent it's going to take you all of two seconds to figure out that everybody has their opinions on what you need to do so do you co-sleep oh no absolutely not you never 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 co-sleep or or do you breastfeed till they're one or till they're They're 21, right? Everybody's got their opinion. Do do you discipline like this or like this? Everybody has their opinion. But the first thing that they have their opinion on is, what do you name this child? Now in those days, your name actually meant something. Go figure, right? And, and the name actually meant something. It wasn't just like the hip, cool, uh, trying to be original name. I was just reading an article uh, last week of, of the most popular names of 2014. And it's just clearly influenced by our hipster culture. And so I was thinking about it. I said, 100 years from now, they're going to look at us and say, those people were just a bunch of freaks. What in the world were they, were they thinking? Just complete c- confusion with what we do. And, and well, there I am. See, I'm already inserting my opinion on a name. And so I'm, I'm there you go. Uh, but the popular name for this child, they decide, all the people came together, we should name him Zechariah after his father. I mean, he's prayed so faithfully. He's, he's led our little little country, synagogue. Let's, let's name him Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, no. She says, he will be called John. That's what Gabriel told us. And John means God is gracious. Now, even here, we see that the most basic part of his identity, his name, points to God. His name means God is gracious. There it is. He must increase. I must decrease. The only reason I'm here is because of God's grace. And his friends and family say, really? It's not even a family name. And so they look over to Zechariah. Come on, man, change this. Something different, right? And they look to mute Zechariah. They start to make signs with him. Remember, he's been, uh, he's been mute, likely even death, often associated together, which is not all bad, <laughs> especially when your wife is pregnant. I said some stupid stuff when my wife was pregnant, and if God had made me mute, I would have been spared a lot of headache. I say things like, wow, babe, you're getting huge. And I, to me, that means... Baby's coming along. This is great. And sh- you know, that just means tears are flowing, and I was stupid, and I should have shut up. Zechariah was mute. They looked at him. Zechariah, what should he be called? And he grabs a writing tablet, and what does he write? I agree. His name shall be John. When people hear about our child, they don't need to think about our great family line. They don't even need to think about me, his great father, They need to think about God has been gracious. I want people thinking about the grace of God. How about your name? When people hear your name, what do they think of? We obviously live in a culture where people really don't care too much about the the depth of meaning of your name. But what do people associate with you and your name? What do people think when they hear of you? When we think of Trump, we picture his name on the side of the building in Manhattan. But when you hear John, you think about God. You think about Jesus. Does your name and your legacy point to Jesus or to something else? And I'm telling you, if your life and your name is all about you, that is going to put on you some very unhealthy ungodly pressure because when you fail when you underperform when you struggle it's all on you because your life has always been all about you but if your name is associated with Jesus the pressure's off when you fail when you struggle when you underperform it's all on who Jesus because your message all along has been God is gracious to me through Jesus Imperfect, sinful, failure I am. Do you see the freedom there? Your message before and your message after. It's always, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. So even when I mess up, well, Jesus is good and Jesus is is gracious. There's great freedom there. And so Zechariah says his name is John. It's It's about Jesus from the beginning. It's all about God and his grace. And at that very moment, at the very moment of obedience, it says that his tongue is loosed and he could speak again. And it says that people are in awe. It actually says fear came upon all of them. I don't think they start running and cowering at Zechariah. They're they're fear and reverent and in awe of what God has done. It's a sense of wonder that something massive, something God-sized, something historical is happening. There's something very special about This child. It's so much more than just Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers. Even though in the midst of this massive historical moment, he answers their prayers. See how God does that. and coordinates things like we could never do ourselves. Let's read on, though. Look at verses 67 through 80. It says, "...and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people.'" And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, for in the forgiveness of their sins, because in the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So verse 67 tells us that the Holy Spirit comes upon Zechariah, fills him, and he begins to prophesy. And verses 68 through 79 are the words of this prophecy. Now, I, I first have to point out one thing that we cannot miss from the life of John is the Holy Spirit. Both his dad is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, earlier we see that his mother is filled with the Holy Spirit. She prophesies, Gabriel says in verse 15, that he, John himself, will be marked by being filled with the Holy Spirit. One great theme of the book of Luke among many is the Holy Spirit. God is described in the scriptures as trinity, tri three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three distinct persons. And, and, and generally, when people think about the Holy Spirit, they think about the book of Acts, Luke's second book, right? But the Holy Spirit is all throughout the book of, of Luke as well, even prior to, to Pentecost. What we need to know is that as Christians, the Bible tells us that at the moment that we come to turn our, give our lives to Jesus, we come to a point of faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells every single Christian. God's Spirit is now in us. Not that we become God and He's in us and we're God, but that He now fills us. He now empowers us. And at the same time, we also seek from time to time to pray that God would fill us With his spirit. So he's there, and from time to time, God gives us special fillings of the Holy Spirit. And we see as John grows up, his ministry becomes amazingly effective, amazingly powerful in pointing people to Jesus. Why? Because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's how many of us will read our Bibles: we'll say, What did John do? How did John? minister? What did Paul do? How did Paul minister? Uh, What did Priscilla do? And how did Priscilla minister? And then we say, okay, let's copy their behavior. That's how most of us will read our Bibles. I do what the good guys did, and I don't do what the bad guys did, right? And that is probably the greatest mistake that Christians make in, in reading the Bible. It's the mistake of mimicking Listen, if we did exactly what John goes on to do, you will move to the desert, you will wear animal skins, you will eat bugs and honey, and you will be entirely unaffected, unaffected at pointing people to Jesus, right? If we did exactly what John In fact, Becky and I had a friend in college whose father actually did that. He read it, he said, I guess I need to do that. He copied that. And needless to say, he lost his marriage, he lost his children, he lost his friends, and he turned many people away from Jesus. Now, most of us don't go that extreme, but we tend to do this, right? I get invited to go to pastor's conferences from time to time, and I usually don't do- go because pastors drive me crazy, right? And, and, sorry, that, that's me too. I know I'm sure I drive you crazy. And, and usually they kind of look like this. They, the, the pastor's conferences will take somebody, some pastor, some Christian leader who's seen God the Holy Spirit move in some powerful way and and see many people come to Jesus and and wow he's amazing maybe he wrote a book about it so let's bring him to this conference let's have him teach and talk about what God did and now all the pastors will leave and go and do that that's that's kind of how they they tend to, to look and so you may remember about a, about, a, was about a decade ago, there was this book that was a New York Times best-selling book called The Purpose-Driven Life. Anybody ever heard of that? Uh, written by this guy, Pastor Rick Warren in Southern California. A man of God, good, good ministry. And uh, he pointed a lot of people to Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit move. But then he starts having all these conferences. And he was notorious for wearing Hawaiian shirts. Okay, Southern California, I get it. It's early 2000s, definitely not okay now. But back then, uh, I get it. But would you believe it? the very first church service I ever went to in Massachusetts was the dead of winter 2001 two feet of snow outside I sit down the preacher comes out and guess what he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt like come on are you serious you've been going to conferences haven't you trust me it wasn't just him I've traveled churches up and down the East Coast teaching at other churches, and I've seen this all over the country. Pastors wearing Hawaiian shirts became the the thing, right? Mimicking. In Southern California, the secret wasn't the Hawaiian shirt. The secret wasn't the method. The secret was the Holy Spirit, right? It was the Holy Spirit. And it still happens today at an even faster rate Because of social media and YouTube and Twitter and and Instagram. and In fact, I recently read that Twitter and Instagram moved a few of their big name executives down to the southeast part of the country because there are so many massive churches and and celebrity pastors down there with tens of thousands of followers online. Because people will go on and follow them and and see what they're doing and learn about them and study them and, and copy what they're doing. And listen, today... And in the scripture, the method is not necessarily the issue. The message is the power, and the Holy Spirit is the power. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, right? And we read that the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us. So for me, I I love Land Rovers. I just think they're so cool. I'll never have one, I'm sure, but I think they're so cool. Unless you guys want to give me a Christmas present. Just throwing that out there. I have a Hyundai Santa Fe. Now imagine if I say I love Land Rover so much. I could, in theory, I probably could strip my Santa Fe down and buy paneling and quarter panels and and build up my Hyundai Santa Fe to look like a, a Land Rover. And on the outside, it looks like a Land Rover. I could even cover my spare tire in the back with one of those famous African Safari tire covers that they have. You see those with a, you know, they have an animal on the back of them. I I could do that, but the second I take my Hyundai Santa Fe looking like a Land Rover out on a safari or out in the woods to go off-roading, I'm going to be stuck in the mud. Why? Because it's not about the outside, it's about what's under the hood. And that's what so many of us churches tend to do, is we like to mimic what's going on, what other people are, are doing, right? And that's what so many of us Christians like to do as well. We like to mimic what other people are doing, but we're stuck in the mud because we're mimicking. The secret is not the exterior. The secret is what's under the hood. And for our church and for our people, if we want to not be stuck in the mud, we have to be full of the Holy Spirit. That is how we make much of Jesus let's stop studying what everybody else is doing stop looking even across the aisle and saying well they seem to be doing a good job at it and start praying that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit and from the onset I told you that there's a freedom found in living for Jesus There's a freedom found in living for another. And do you start to see how freeing this truth is? You don't have the pressure to have to be just like them. Our church doesn't have the pressure to have to do what they're doing on the other side of the country and look just like they do on the other side of the country. So stop listening to podcasts and say, we should do that. We need to do what God the Holy Spirit has called us to do. We need to be full of his spirit and live in that. And there's freedom in that, right? Because he empowers all of us to do exactly what he has designed us to do. And as you read through the New Testament, you find this. You find that as God the Holy Spirit moves, starts to make much of Jesus. Not any person. Not any person church and so from time to time but over and over and over again you hear some great celebrity christian who falls why because they're making much of themselves and that's not evidence of the holy spirit the holy spirit is evidenced by making much of jesus luke 1 15 says he will be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb so how about you Are you marked by being full of the Holy Spirit? You could probably diagnose your own life right now. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian and you place faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you immediately. But are you marked by being full of the Spirit of God? And as you read through the New Testament, here's what you see. You see they prayed, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit you'd be very stretched to look in the New Testament and find they were full of the Holy Spirit and not see just before that they pray. It's in there over and over and over and over again. If you want to study more on this, go back to our podcast and you can look at our series On God the Holy Spirit. They pray, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then what do we see almost every time? And then they proclaim Christ as Lord. And so if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it will not be all about you. It will not be all about me. It will not be all about our institution. It will be all about Jesus. Now, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and then he prophesies. And as you look at this prophecy, the song here really, there, there are 12 verses in this prophecy. And of the 12, only one mentions John. The rest are all about Jesus. Now, Again, imagine me as a first-time dad. I remember the day very, very well. Our church that we were at at the time was a a really big church. A lot of people coming to the hospital. Everybody wanted a piece of our, our little guy and family members were coming too. Lots of people there to support us. They wanted to hear our delivery story. I wanted to share it. I was a proud dad. But what if all I could talk about was my son's cousin? Her name's Olivia she's cute and she was coming we didn't know it yet but what if all I could talk about tell us tell us tell us well he's gonna have a cousin and her name's gonna be Olivia and she's gonna be so sweet such a sweetheart she's really smart and she's gonna sing and dance and everybody's gonna be so excited she's gonna change the world that girl be strange right say what what are you talking about Your son, your son is right here. And from the moment that it was foretold that this child would be born, John lived in the shadow of Jesus. And yet, you know what? He's totally okay with it. Totally okay with it. How about you? Would you be okay if God did stuff through you that maybe you don't even see? And nobody asks you to write a book or speak at a conference. Nobody in your church is applauding you. But God's doing stuff through you. Would you be okay with that if much was made of Jesus? Let's live in the shadow of Jesus and enjoy the shade. Let's be a kind of people who we live under the shadow of Jesus and we enjoy it. And we're okay with it. And, and, and you know what? There's something freeing about living under the shadow of, of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is, I'll take the heat. So you could let it be about you. And when the heat comes, you're going to take the heat. And the wages of sin is death. Or if you make it all about Jesus and you live under the shadow of Jesus, when the heat comes, who takes the heat? He provides shade for you, and you come up underneath the shadow of the cross. Let your life be in the shadow of Jesus and enjoy the shade. Do you ever hear people and just listen to them and say, man, they talk about themselves a whole lot, right? That's why one thing that people struggle with when you you put them together is listening and cutting each other off, right? I hear it in every college dorm room that I ever, you know, I was there, and I just remember college students just, I just can't even talk without you cutting me off, man. It's just part of being around other uh, other people. Do you ever listen to the frequency of yourself and how much you like to talk about yourself? Is it all about you or is it all about another? The conversation from the very beginning of his life is not John, 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 John. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Parents, we've got to be careful not to train our children to think that the world revolves around them. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do when our world kind of does revolve around that. We have to be careful and mindful of that and prayerful over that. Now, looking line by line through Zechariah's prophecy, some of the things that he says are, are really important. We, we need to lock, lock in on them. First he says, praise God, he's visited his people, he's redeemed us. In other words, we sold out, we're a bunch of sellouts, and he buys us back. And notice this, this is really important, as you look through this prophecy, notice that everything that he says, it's written in the past tense, even though Jesus is still in the womb of Mary. He writes it all as if it's done, why? Because Zechariah realizes something very theologically heavy and important, and that is that the promises of God, even unfulfilled, are as good as done. So as you read through the scriptures and you hear the promises of God, even though maybe you haven't seen them applied in your life yet, they are as good as done. Hope in that. Everything he says is in the past tense. Verse 68, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's not here yet. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation. He's not here yet. He hasn't even died yet. But he knows that God's promises are as good as done. And he's starting to see some things come. He talks about the horn of salvation, which is this picture of the strength of an animal that Jesus has powerfully and might have mightily saved his people and his strength. He goes on, he talks about uh, that we are, have been rescued from our enemies, that we are in the grip of the greatest enemy of all, the Bible talks about. And the greatest enemy of all is death the last enemy to be completely eradicated at the end of scriptures, yet he's saying it's as good as done even though we haven't even seen it completely eradicated yet. He's rescued us from the the grip of our our enemies. If we turn to Jesus, we trust in him, we can live forever that though we die, yet he says we will live. He talks about God's faithfulness in doing what he's promised to do. He's had all these prophets come and he said here's what's gonna happen and God is faithful, it's gonna happen, it's happening. God is faithful to his covenant that he has made. He talks about the forgiveness of sin. That the eternal consequence of our sin is death. And God's mercy is going to be upon us because of what Jesus will do. Finally, he talks about light and and peace. So what's he saying there? He's saying there's hope for those of us who are struggling and feeling the pressure of life and the, 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 the result of sin. Maybe sin that we didn't even specifically cause. Maybe it's sin of a parent before us. Whatever it is, he's saying, listen, there's hope for you. And who's the hope in? Zechariah says, my awesome son? Nope. He says the hope is in the one who my son is all about. The hope is in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he only gives one verse to John, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Lord. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So even then, it's kind of all about Jesus, isn't it? Even when he mentions his own son, you, child, will be a prophet of the Lord, and you will prepare the way for him. John's specific job is to make his life all about Jesus, to prepare people for Jesus. More on that in the weeks ahead. He's freed from just living for himself, and he's free to live for something greater. Even when life feels lame, and feels like not much is happening. God says, I'm using it for my glory. You need to know that. Luke chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects my Father who is in heaven. Do you hear the freedom in that one? There's a great freedom to know that whatever you say, you're speaking for for Jesus, and if they don't want it, don't take it personally. It's so easy when we share with our neighbors and family and friends about Christ and they don't want it, to take it personally. They're not rejecting you. They didn't reject John. They rejected Jesus. Such freedom in making your life all about another. Now, look at the last verse, verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So in a few weeks, we're going to look more at John's time in the wilderness and his ministry and then his appearance in Israel where he's going to get his head chopped off. But know that he had a very, very short public ministry. It was very brief. And then what does he do? He says, i got to go. I'm going to go get my head chopped off. Jesus, take all my disciples. Now, as a church planter, I try to wrap my mind around that. In the early days, it was like, if you're a warm body, just be here, please. We'll put you to work, and you can preach if you've got a, you know, your heart in you that's pumping. I mean, Just help us, right? And, and, and just gathering people and seeing people come to know the Lord. And John is so selfless that he says, i got all these people following me. You guys all turn and go follow Jesus. He just gets rid of all of his disciples and sends them over to to Jesus. Who does that? Somebody who really is all about Jesus is who does that. And for now, notice that it says he he grows to become strong in spirit so that he can point people to to Jesus. He had to grow strong in, in spirit. That is spiritual development is part of that. See a lot of us want to be on this side over here and we want to be constantly seeing people come to know Jesus and just seeing all the all the power and what we get here from this man who makes his life all about Jesus is that even that season where he was growing in his spirit is all about Jesus as well. He's maturing for what God has him to do. And so what that means for you, what that means for me, is we've got to open our Bible. We've got to read God's Word. We've got to grow. We've got to make it a priority. You've got to plug into a connection group. You've got to plug into a discipleship group. The Bible tells us that the way you grow is not in isolation. It makes it abundantly clear that the way you grow is by walking through these things with other believers so that you can have other people other than just a spouse or a friend close to you other people within the faith family speaking the truth and love to you so that you can be developed with other people if we have not made it crystal clear we want everybody in our church to be a part of a group make that happen figure out a way get with other believers even if it's only once a month based on your schedule make it happen get developed grow in spirit the bible is so clear that we do this with other people and john is being developed in his spiritual maturity. And that counts as part of pointing people to Jesus. Even when he's not opening his mouth, he's working towards pointing people to Jesus. He had a very long season of development and just a very, very, very brief, maybe six-month season of public ministry. So get prepared. And it counts kind of like a soldier in training where if you see any action at all it's a brief season compared to all the training that you put in but your training counts. Every season counts. Even the pain, even the failure, even the struggle counts because God is working all things for good. For those of you who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Now, Let me close by just fast-forwarding 30 years. We get into the the public ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, here's what he says. He says this. He says, "I, I tell you that among those born of woman, none is greater than John. So if anybody asks you, who is the greatest person ever born Jesus says it was John really? the guy who wore animal skins ate bugs and honey and lived out in the desert it's the greatest person who ever lived why was he the greatest person who ever lived was it because he made much of himself and everybody said wow he worked his way to the top he's amazing no it's because he humbled himself He humbled himself. Jesus also says everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. John doesn't exalt himself. John doesn't declare I'm the greatest person who ever lived. Jesus does. John just focused in on humbling myself and doing what I'm called to do. No matter how lowly, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult it is. I do what I'm called to do. And I trust that in the proper time, He will exalt. He will exalt. And some of us, we're so focused in living our lives, lives of self exaltation. And it takes shape in so many ways where we make our life all about ourselves so that we can prove it to some punk who said something bad about us, that we're all right, we're pretty good, or to prove it to our dad that I can live and I can really make much of myself, or prove it to your spouse, and I'm not the loser you think I am. Whatever, we just live our lives exalting self. That's so opposite of what the Bible says. And the Bible is so countercultural. It says, listen, you humble yourself. Be willing to do the lowly things, and at the proper time, he will exalt us. And so, Jesus says, He's the greatest who ever lived because of the way he humbled himself and took on a really peculiar role. Did some strange things, but he was faithful. He's faithful to the very end. And so, He's the greatest. And so, do you want to live your life freed up? Yeah, I do. I'm so sick of the yoke, of the, the slavery, the, the chains, of trying just to say it's about Jesus, but it's kind of about me, and proving myself, and proving my worth, and proving my ministry counts for something. That's so dumb. Let's just be faithful. Let's just do what God's called us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, deflecting all the glory to Jesus, the one who deserves it all, and just be freed up from all of that other stuff. That's why you can have joy even when things are difficult. That's why you can be happy even when it looks like you're kind of failing because your life is about Jesus and it's not about self. And so let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of church. And so let's pray to that in Father, we long to live under the example of John and under the example of Jesus, who is a foot washer. We long to be a people who are freed from the rat race, trying to prove ourselves trying to make ourselves great, would help us just to live all about Jesus and you exalt at the proper time and we don't even concern ourselves with that. God, I pray that we truly, in the depths of our soul, would be a people who are all about Jesus. And we all struggle with it from time to time. Or bring conviction where we need to be convicted today. Bring resolution where we need to make resolution. Bring power to press on where we need power to press on. God, do your work in us. We're going to be careful to give you all the glory for great things that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.